Good morning. Today I'll be reading from Luke 7, chapter verse, verse 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed, owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I've been thinking about doing this sermon for a long time. And I think it's because it is going to be dealing with some things that I think we really need to talk about and to think about. And maybe we might even need to repent. One of the things that we, we tend to do is we tend to think of the Pharisees and stories like we just read as being very, very old. And yet they're very relevant to us in some ways. I, I came across a, uh, something that had been written by a, uh, minister, I don't know what denomination he's from, but it was on the internet. And, you know, it's funny because you notice the title. Does that ring a bell with you? There's a song that the kids used to sing. I don't know if they still do, you know. And the, the chorus of it, and it keeps repeating, I just want to be a sheep, ba, right? My savior, my soul to keep, I just want to be a sheep, you know. But there are different verses, and one of the verses says, I don't want to be a Pharisee. Um, another one says, I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So guess what song has been going through my head all week? And, you know, it's like, oh, okay. So I was just curious, you know, about the song, how popular, how widespread it was. And uh, so I came across this article that had been written. And the way this minister put it, um, I thought, yeah, that's it. The funny thing is, he says, the Pharisees are a group of people that I actually identify with. I've spent my whole life in the church. 
I'm now a church leader. I have a high view of scripture. I appreciate laws, rules, and guidelines. And it's sometimes easy for me to miss the big picture while I pay attention to details. I have a lot in common with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. So, in the story that we just read, just to turn this on, uh, we find that a, a Pharisee, and if you're looking at the count, you notice in the first few verses that he's never mentioned by name. But we find out later, Jesus calls him by name, his name was Simon, and he's invited Jesus to dinner at his place. Now, the first question that I have, and maybe you do, is why invite Jesus to his place for dinner? We find out with what Jesus says that he does not extend the basic hospitality to his guest. You know, does not give him water to wash his feet, doesn't wash them himself, which would be, or have a, a servant do that, doesn't uh, anoint the feet. You know, there's, there's a tension there, and there's an attitude there that Simon has toward Jesus. Why have him over? What are you doing with that? And I think it may show up in a minute. Now, we're introduced to him as a Pharisee. The, these first early verses, he's, that is mentioned, and he's called a Pharisee. You know, namelessly, four times. And I thought it might be helpful for us just to take a second to talk about what, that, what a Pharisee is. All right, in Judaism, in the first century, there were different leadership sects. The two that we read about most commonly in the New Testament are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Somebody asked me one time, well, where did they come from? We don't see them in the Old Testament. And the best explanation is probably that when the people of Judah and Jerusalem are taken to Babylon into captivity, the, the king and his court and those related to him are also taken. And from that point on, the monarchy of Israel is gone. So when they are allowed to move back to Jerusalem, there's no king. There's no political leadership. And it seems like the religious leaders take political control. Might be the simplest way to put it. The Pharisees, who are the priests, and are the, the, the rabbis, and the Sadducees, who are the priests, have a very powerful influence over the people. So uh, these are people of wealth and power. Uh, the word Pharisee comes from a Hebrew word and then an Aramaic word that means to uh, separate or detach. So you can kind of get the idea that they are kind of above and apart from everybody else. And so they're seen and see themselves as, as, as sanctified. You know, they have a special sanctity, special holiness. They're set apart from all the other Jews. And so that means they're kind of better than 
we recognize it as a holier-than-thou kind of a thing. So, there's reclining at the table, and this woman comes in. And she's identified as a sinful woman. And again, I have a question. Do I, can I look at you and tell that you're a sinful person? Well, I know that we all sin, but you know what I mean? If, but, but that label, a sinful person, is it that she's got a reputation? Or is it that uh, her clothing sets her apart? You know, I kind of jokingly think that she have a sign on her forehead saying, I'm a sinner. But it, whatever it is, it is sufficient enough that Simon recognizes and reacts. And she comes in and she stands behind Jesus and she starts to cry. And she uses her tears to wash his feet. And then she dries them and then she's brought some fairly expensive perfume. And anoints his feet. And I kind of project a little bit here onto Simon. But I feel like that he is probably looking at her. And do you ever get that feeling sometimes that somebody is just kind of like, I don't want them to touch me. Simon sees Jesus allowing her to touch him as discrediting who he claims to be. If this man really were a prophet, he would know the kind of woman she is. The the kind of woman that's touching him. Nice people don't let bad women touch them. I kind of wonder, is he just about throwing up in his dinner? Because he's so repulsed by her and what she's doing. And he seems to be more than ready to just ignore and cut her off. In some ways, I'm surprised that he doesn't kick her out of the house violently. But see, this is indicating what it is to be a typical Pharisee. We know that there were some Pharisees that were among uh, the, the people that at some point followed Jesus. We have Nicodemus. We have Joseph of Arimathea. Um, but generally, they are the ones who have a zeal for the law, the law of Moses, and the traditions that have evolved over the centuries, literally millennia, among the Jewish people. They're zealous for them. So, uh, but Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, talking about the Pharisees, he says, their righteousness is to be seen by men. They want people to notice how good they are, how righteous and holy, how separate. To admire them. That's what Jesus says. You know, if you're doing it to be seen of men, you have your reward. It's not coming from God. But, they extend that to an attitude that finds fault. 
with others. They're always looking for people to make a mistake, to say something or do something that's wrong. And highly judgmental in that process. And I thought about putting the word hated here in quotes. But I think you'll understand me. They hated those who were not like them. They hated the sinners and the tax collectors. They hated people whose lives were messy. See, that's what Simon's doing with this woman. She's a sinner. Oh, wonder if he's thinking he's going to have to wash his house out. They hated the Gentiles. They hated Jesus, John the Baptist, Jesus' disciples. Now, what's interesting here is that in the law, and they were zealous for the law, there was this concept. In fact, they understood that there were two great commands, and Jesus taught the same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, from Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. At one point, Jesus has a Pharisee, Surprise. Stand up and ask him a question. Who is my neighbor? Do you know who your neighbors are? But see, the thing to understand is that this man is an expert in the law and he's used to thinking in terms of of technicalities and legal things that have to be a certain way. And what Luke says is he asked this to test Jesus. But then in the dialogue further, it says he's seeking to justify himself, he asked. Who's my neighbor? Justify means trying to find a way to excuse himself from having to obey the command to love my neighbor. That's messy. My neighbor may not be the kind of person I am. And so the Pharisees had evolved the concept that said, my neighbor is somebody who is just like me. And so we have this mutual admiration society, right? But anybody that doesn't fit into that isn't my neighbor, so I don't have to love them and I don't have to do anything nice for them. Jesus responds to this by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the Samaritan who was hated by the Pharisees, was the hero. But you notice that Simon, or that the Pharisee in this story, is not asking who should be loved and cared for. It's rather, who can I be excused for not looking after? He's not asking about issues of justice that were important in the law, like looking after orphans and widows and people in need, people whose lives were a mess. But, we are going to look at a couple of passages here you may never have noticed before. One from Leviticus. When a foreigner, this is God speaking, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. 
love the alien and the stranger. And you'll find different words in different translations, but that would be that foreigner, alien, stranger. Love them. Not just loving your neighbor. You know, you notice that the Pharisee is asking Jesus, who's my neighbor, is not asking about these other people that are around them. Because that gets messy. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then from Deuteronomy, he, that is God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. You know, both those passages are built on the same idea, and that was that the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were foreigners in Egypt. They should understand what it is to, to, to be struggling under oppression and adversity and difficulty. And so they should have a heart for those who are disadvantaged. They should have a heart for the alien and the stranger. So, dealing with the Pharisees, Jesus was, you know, their target. They were opposing him. They were arguing against him. They were plotting against him. And part of it was because he was exposing their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means, in the Greek word that's used for, uh, that, that almost transliterates into English, is the idea of a false face. You know, actors in the Greek theater wore a held up a mask in front of them. And that was the character. So they spoke through the mask. Well, see, what the word hypocrite means is a person who is not on the inside what they claim to be on the outside. And Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites over and over and over again. False fronts. People behind masks who pretend righteousness, but inside, he says in Matthew 23, they're filled with dead men's bones. In fact, in Matthew 23, we won't take time to look at this, but I would encourage you to read that chapter. It is powerful as Jesus exposes the foolishness, and the ungodliness of their hypocrisy. And yet, I think really touches for us today on the fact that we often live in ways that are showing attitudes that are not consistent with Christ, but are consistent with people like the Pharisees. So at one point in Matthew 23, he says, the Pharisees tithe, mint, dill, cumin. Can't you just see these Pharisees Saying, okay, well, I've got, to, I've got to tithe everything I've got. And so they're down counting out the finest little spices that they have to give their 10%. And Jesus then says, but they have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You mean, Jesus, there's something more important than obeying the letter of the law? You bet. See, the essence of Phariseeism is insistence on the letter of the law without the heart and compassion that God has for people. 
The Pharisees lack a lot in their zeal for the letter of the law. They become self-appointed enforcers. See, think about how many times Jesus in His ministry has these people coming to Him to condemn Him. So Jesus says they've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Love. Justice. And mercy. It's the attitude that treats people with not just fairness, but with compassion. Where the person is willing to deal with people out of grace, not out of law. So the idea of the strangers, the word that's trans, that, that is, appears as strangers comes from Greek. And you maybe have heard a lot of this. So the word is xenos. And it's kind of interesting because in one form, and we hear a lot of it today, xenophobia. And what that means is fear of strangers, fear of those who are different. One of the things that came out of this big mess that's been going on down from the, the protests and the person who drove the car into the anti-protest. You know, as I've heard the word xenophobic many, many times as, as people are talking about that. It's a fear of somebody who's different. They don't look like me. They don't dress like me. They don't talk like me. They don't smell like me. In fact, maybe they stink. Maybe their habits are different. Maybe they speak a different language. Well, human beings sometimes fear those who are different. And what comes in with fear is hate and intolerance. I remember a number of years ago hearing about a church that was running a program that was drawing in a lot of people that were that were poor, uneducated, not socially skilled, shall we say. <laughs> and the feedback from the congregation was such that the leader said, we better quit that program. We want to work with a better class of people. That probably, or that should really upset you. Can you see Jesus saying that when people come to him like this sinful woman? Oh, don't touch me. I don't want anything to do with you. Whether it's sinners, whether it's lepers, whether it's children. Think about that scene where the children are coming to Jesus and the disciples, I think taking a page from the Pharisees saying, hey, get those kids out of here. We don't want them. Jesus said, stop. This is what the kingdom of heaven is about. See, human beings in their xenophobia tend to behave like people who are not Christ and his followers. 
There's another word that uses xenos, and it has philo at the beginning of it. And philo is one of the Greek words for love. Loving strangers. And so it has the idea of love of or friend to strangers. And guess what? Christians are told to practice philozenos. Isn't that interesting? One of the ways that it's translated in the New Testament is the word hospitality. Opening your home to strangers. Loving them. Caring for them. So Jesus told a parable about the sheep and goats. And we'll just very quickly go through this in Matthew 25. And it's a parable of judgment. And as Jesus is telling the parable, the sheep are those whom God accepts. And the goats are those God rejects. And what's interesting about this is the idea is caring for the brothers of mine. That should be mine, not mine. And so... Jesus specifically includes the care of people who are hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, in prison. There are people who are disadvantaged. There are people who have real needs. And Jesus says the care of these people is how we treat him. Isn't that powerful? So, what's on our heart? Okay? Are we like the Pharisees? Do we hate those who are different? Because they're messy. They're uncomfortable. You know, I probably know better than anybody else about how difficult people can be. But you know what? I don't want to be a Pharisee. And I hope you don't. Or do we want to be like Jesus? Compassionate, kind, reaching out to those who are struggling, looking after those who are outsiders. You know, as Christians, we talk about being separate from the world, and that's talking about the behavior, the lifestyle, the sin. But that doesn't mean that in doing that, we disengage from the people of the world who need to know the love of God and the love of Christ. We need to have hearts that are big enough to encompass all of the people that the love of God encompasses. What's John 3.16 say? God so loved the world. And you know, the reality is, is if you are one of those who are thinking that certain people don't belong in this building, guess what? In God's eyes, you're the one that doesn't belong. Because you don't care, share His love for people.
and for the lost. Let's stand as we sing our closing song.